Hi, everybody. From uh, cool Australia, well, where I, what state I'm in at the moment is pretty uh, cool here, but not probably as cool as some of the other countries in our world. But yeah, I, I guess when you've got a bit of a cold, you feel colder as well. But too bad. It's another day saver and another day above ground. And uh, I'm always truly grateful for that. Yeah, my story is like a lot of other stories, I guess. Um, living a life as a young child. I was born in uh, 1948, not long after the war. And there wasn't much money around. There wasn't much of anything around, really. But we got some love and we got some shoes on our feet and we got some clothes and we were sent off to school. And um, that was life for a long time. But uh, I guess when I look back to my childhood, um, the alcohol started at an extremely young age, about three or four. Um, in those days, a lot of folk used to have, they used to go to different family meetings and have a roast dinner or share the food, but they also shared uh, flagons of beer or whatever else, whatever alcohol they could afford. And um, I was quite a helpful little girl because I used to go around and pick everyone's glasses up and empty them and take them back to be filled again. And I guess that's where I started my early travels on uh, the road to alcoholism. And it just kept on progressing, you know, at a reasonably steadyish rate for a kid. And I learned smoking sitting in the fowl house on the top perch with all the chooks. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was a bit of a, a loner as well because uh, I find it very hard to make friends with people. Very hard. I couldn't share my feelings. I didn't even know what my feelings were a lot of the time. I used to... <sighs> I used to play with a lot of boys' stuff instead of girls' stuff. And I used to get teased a bit about um, playing with trucks or a tractor in the sandpit and playing with bows and arrows in the bush. And I just thought, well, that's how it is. And I just kept on. And I guess a lot of that stemmed to my early dependence on alcohol to um, blot out the feelings of I don't sort of feel part of a lot of society and expectations of society, like um, being the oldest girl, uh, you have a glory box. I don't know what you call it today, but you have a, a box in your bedroom and people would give you gifts for your birthdays like tea towels and towels and bloody stuff you set up for a home and a marriage. And I didn't do it. My sister got the glory box because I wasn't interested. And there were just lots of um, things that were expected of me and I didn't want to do, and it created a lot of disharmony at home. So at the age of 15, I left home and got a job straight away because I was determined to work, thank goodness, and I still do to this day. I still work. Yeah, it hasn't been easy. It's been a um, a, a, um, a life of 
trying things out. And if they didn't work, I would try another way. And I could never fit into um, society's mould. I always had to be a bit different. <laughs> yeah, and I had terrible crushes on women and I couldn't understand them. And I was so ashamed of myself. I'd see myself described on toilet walls many, many, many times. I don't see it so much today, but on the odd occasion, I saw one about two days ago in our public toilets and where I work. And I thought, oh, I thought that had all gone, but no. It's still around, not as great as it was. But anyway, I I ended up... um, driving buses. I had a stint in the Air Force, um, which I was extremely proud of. I went in as a comms op and I remustered to transport because I've always loved transport, big, big transport. It's always been a a big attraction. And I was in there for about 14 months, I think, 15 months. But I also connected with a couple of women in barracks who picked a couple of boxes and I couldn't quite understand it. So they took me into the big city of Auckland and introduced me to a nightclub where there were men that dressed as women and women that dressed as men and women who dressed as women. And I thought, for once in my life, I felt comfortable. I was comfortable. I couldn't understand it, but I felt okay. I carried on my life in the Air Force and I started to change a bit more and I was off base an awful lot and I was in base one, I was in, sorry, in town one time and I'd get, I got to know some of these um, drag queens and they were really, I really enjoyed their company and there was a couple of us walking along hand in hand down Queen Street, which is the main street and a car full of Air Force personnel went past, and there was a guy in the car who recognised me straight away and yelled out. I still don't know, but when I got to barrack, back to barracks on the Sunday night, the mighty grapevine had started, and I went with my meal, and I sat down at the woman's table, and they all got up and moved away. This is in the early, very early 70s, the 1971, you see, guilty by association. If you associate with somebody like me, you are booted out just like that. And that's actually what happened. And I was absolutely devastated. And I only got peace of mind about not quite a year ago from the um, New Zealand Air Force, an apology for the way I was treated and my dismissal. I wasn't asking for anything else. All I wanted was an apology, and that's what I got, and I've just left it at that, and I've moved on, and it feels so much better. Yeah. I know today you can sign up uh, in most places in the world, I suppose, and the Defence Forces, and and you're accepted and proudly accepted. And I just – I'm going to a a big footy match soon, and it's an ANZAC, and that's Australia and New Zealand. And it stands for the Army Corps of Australia and New Zealand. And they play the national anthem there and the Air Force are there in uniform. And I stand and I sing and I cry and it's wonderful. I know I only served for a short time, but it was, I felt really proud for that short time. Hmm. Anyway, 
enough of my little tears at the moment. I always get quite emotional when I think about it. But today it's it's a sadness. It's not anger and rage. Um, it's not fear. It's none of that anymore. It's just, well, I tried and I've moved on and it's okay. But I also have another uniform on now and it's a dark blue one, very similar. And I have a set of orders that I work to each day. Okay, it's driving buses, but I've virtually done that since that time. And it's given me an awful lot, a lot of rewards. And, yes, I met um, my Mary on my bus. She was a passenger of mine in Christchurch. And I've learnt through this relationship, I didn't have a clue on how to be a partner to anybody. I didn't have a clue. There was only one person in the relationship, and that was me. And that's how I thought as an alcoholic. It's me, me, me. Everything had to be me. And what I wanted and what I wanted was my way. And, yeah, waffling a bit at the moment, I think. I know before I met Mary, I was sober and well, and I had sobered up in 1986. Um, my father's, all my father's side were alcoholics. My mother was a teetotal, and um, I sobered up after my father died. And I went into AA with the wrong intentions. There was a girl there I got to know, and I'd known her for a number of years, but I always knew her as a drunk. And I didn't see her for a long time. And then one day I ran into her, and she looked entirely different. Entirely different. And I said, where the hell have you been? Where have you been? She says, I'm sober. I've been sober for two years. And I had no idea. And she says, why don't you come along? So I went along, and I only went because I wanted to have the company. And at first I listened to all the all the differences. No, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. And then all of a sudden I started listening to the similarities and I thought she'd been talking to people in the meeting about me. And I was really angry that she'd done that. But in time, of course, I realised I was relating to what they were saying, really relating and I'd come home. I came home to a society, a friendship, a fellowship of people like me who didn't judge. They just accepted me. They hugged me, which I didn't like at first, and I still have trouble with hugging. But it's okay because I know there's nothing else in it but just caring for how I am and sharing themselves. AA has given me heaps. It's taught me how to learn. It's taught me how to be a better human being. It's taught me how to address my feelings, accept my feelings. They are my feelings and not deny them. It's taught me how to be honest. I was so dishonest. My life was a lie. Everything I touched or spoke about was a lie, it was rubbish. And that's been very painful to learn how to be honest and truthful, even to this day. 
I catch myself out sometimes. I think, well, it's a little white one. I better own up to that one. I've got a conscience, and that's a newbie too. Mm. You know, I don't do many meetings. I actually haven't done many meetings at all for a period of time. I'm too busy exploring this beautiful land. I wouldn't have bothered doing that if I'd been still drinking. You might think, how can she go? How can you carry on without going to meetings? Well, I can tell you right now, every day on my bus, I get a constant stream and daily reminders of where I've been. And sometimes those people talk to me and I can give them a bit of an idea of what I did for me. I don't preach it. I just say, well, this worked for me. So in a way, I'm exposing myself as somebody that's been in their shoes. It's painful. I had one just the other day who got on with his bottles. And I said, I'll take you home, but I want you to sit right beside me on that seat there and just hold your bottles on your knees until I get you home. And then you can get off and you can do what you like, but I don't want you to drink on my bus, okay? And he just sat there and I could see him trying to almost sliding off the seat. And then I just touched the brake and made him sit up again. And I got him home and I said, thank you, mate. I really respect the fact that you didn't drink on my bus. He said, I really respect you too, lady. And that's why I didn't. And he got off and I thought, yeah, you poor guy, you know, been there, done that. That saddens me, but. I didn't kick him off the bus. I took him home. That's where he wanted to go. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I've learned so much. You know, there was so much I didn't know, and a lot of shame was attached to that because I didn't understand a lot of things and how people worked and how life worked. And it's been really hard to hear from young people about what I need to do or how they've done it. And I thought, well, why didn't I think of that? But you just don't when you're in that obsession of just picking up and oblivion. Yeah. I guess driving big transport was also a deterrent. And I, for a while, when I first started driving, I curtailed my drinking to just weekends. So I'd blast and then um, clean myself up before I went to work. But I was always terrified of being caught with a blowing on the bag. But they didn't worry about that in those days. Yeah. So I don't know. Meetings work. Meetings work. They really, really do. I remember in my early days I used to do a lot of detox meetings, go into um, maximum security women's prisons and do a lot of detox work there, tell my story. It was scary at first because I know there were there were women there that were really, yeah, they'd been there. They're still there, I guess, some of them. A lot of detox meetings. They were really wake-up calls and early recovery. I did um, rehab for three months. Um, that was really good. Used to go and make cups of tea for 
the people in the wards who suffered from Korsakoff, and that was my nickname, actually, Kerry Korsakoff, in um, the rehab centre where I was, because uh, my memory at times is is poor, is poor. But um, I've survived, and I can still hold down a full-time job and do my job well. And that's all to the Fellowship of AA and the people involved in the fellowship who have helped me, no matter how little or how large, they have really, really helped me because it's a lonely place when there's only you. It's a very lonely place. Mm. So I don't know what else I can add. Um, I'm just really grateful and I feel a bit um, um, I don't know what the word is that you'd want to hear my story. I guess it's uh, I've heard lots of stories, and I don't want to do a drunkalog, and I'm frightened of doing that. Yeah, that's a they're all old term. Um, Sayings, I suppose. I don't know what sayings you have in AA these days. But I, um, I still I'm waiting for people around me to be coughing or something, and there's no noise. It's just a computer, and it's a bit, it's a bit weird. But it's okay. It's, it's okay. Thank you for uh, listening, and um, yeah, good on you, Stephanie. Yeah, you're doing well.